hey, I'm glad you guys are here. It's exciting to uh, get to worship together, to see your faces, and uh, just to know that, that we're not alone, right? Uh, everybody's going through a lot of stuff, you know? I, I think people come in, you think, well, you know, all these people look fine, and I'm going through a lot of stuff, so it's just me. No, it's not. It's not just you, I promise. Everybody's got stuff, and we're not alone in this. Uh, we've been talking for the last uh, several weeks about what it means to live the life of a normal Christian, a day in the life of a normal Christian. What, what is a Christian? Is it somebody that just says, I believe in God, and is that a Christian? Uh, is it somebody that shows up at church every now and then and thinks that they're going to go to heaven when they die? Is that, is that a Christian? Uh, according to Jesus, uh, a Christian is somebody that puts Jesus at the center of their lives. It says, hey, you're my Lord. Every, everything I do and say, I want it to come from you. Uh, that, that's what it means to be a Christian. And so what are the normal daily practices of somebody who has Jesus at the center of their lives? So we've been working through that. Uh, we're going to finish that series today and uh, jump into something new next week. So let me go ahead and tell you about next week because you need to do something today to prepare for that. Uh, we're going to start a series through the book of Acts. So out in our lobby, you will find these reading guides so that you can read along with us through the book of Acts. So this starts tomorrow. So I would encourage you to grab one of these. I think you can find them online as well. And uh, read through the book of Acts with us as we prepare to teach through that starting next week. But today we're going to just talk about um, that it's normal for Christians to uh, be the church, right? We, you've heard, maybe heard that phrase, we, we don't just go to church, we are the church. So what does that mean to be the church? It's normal for Christians to engage with the local church. Uh, so that means that to not engage with the local church would be abnormal, or in fact, if you read through the New Testament, it's, it's, it's hard to find any examples of people who follow Jesus but are not part of a community of believers. So this is normal, to, to engage with the local church. So what is the church? Is this something you could explain? What, what is it? Why, why is it important? Is it, is it the buildings that we see all over the place? What, what is the church? I think there are a lot of examples in, in our society of things that we know what they are and we think we understand them, but explaining them is a different story. Uh, like yawning. Do you guys, everybody understand yawning? You do it all the time, right? Some of you are like, yeah, this is my, this is my yawning place. This is where I come to yawn. It just happens all the time, right? But what is a yawn? Do you, do you know what it is, like medically, biologically? Do you understand the psychology behind when I talk about yawning, my wife must yawn? I, we, we don't know why. It's a fun game that we play at our house sometimes. Uh, she doesn't like it, but, you know, we do. Uh, what, what is going on there in our heads? Why, do, why does that happen? It's something that we think we understand, but it's hard to explain. Another good example is uh, toilets. Uh, I used to be a youth minister, so I, I bring toilets up a lot. I don't know why. Do you understand toilets? Most of us are like, yeah, you push the lever and the stuff goes away. I totally get it, right? But could you explain how a toilet works? You've been using them all your life, ever since you got indoor plumbing, right? You've been using toilets. Can you explain how it works like to a five-year-old? Like the mechanics of it. And what, what, what makes the water sit there? And then what makes it go away? And how does it get filled back up? Like, do, can you explain all that? Most people could not do that, right? I think church is like that. It's not like a toilet. Bad analogy. <laughs> it's... <laughs> It's like something that we think we understand, but it's difficult to explain. We're like, especially if you grew up going to church, if you've been in church your whole life, you're like, well, yeah, I understand church. You know, uh, maybe if you've grown up going to church, your explanation of church wouldn't be very compelling to somebody who is not familiar. 
Because your answer is like, well, it's just what we do. My grandparents went to church and my parents went to church and so I go to church. It's just what we do. That, that's not really an explanation. It's just a description of, of, of your life. How, how would you explain if, if, if somebody disagreed with you and said, hey, I don't think church is important at all. Could you, could you convince them? Could you give a persuasive argument for why church is important? I think it's difficult for us because we live in what um, you, you would call an individualist culture. And that's, it's not just us. It's not just like Cicero, Indiana. It's like the entire Western world. So mostly the U.S. Um, and a lot of places in Europe, Canada. We, we live in a, an individualist society. And what that means, individualist means that the greatest good in our society is individual rights and freedoms. Like that's the most important thing is that individuals have the freedom to be who they are and express who they are in whatever way feels right to them. That's individualism, Right? But the Bible was actually written to and for a collectivist culture. So collectivism is different from individualism. In collectivism, it's not the individual that is the highest good. It's the community that's the highest good. And so what's best for each person is to do what's best for the community, whatever that looks like for you. It's, it's often it's your family or your tribe or your, your clan. Uh, that's, that's the highest good is we, we, we protect the family, we, we fight for the family, we connect with the family, we stick with the family. And so when we read scripture with individualist eyes, we begin to interpret different parts of it as, as though it's really just about me and me choosing what I want to do and being who I want to be. When the Bible writers were thinking more in terms of us, this is about us and being who we are together collectively. And so it's helpful for us. It's not that individualism is bad and collectivism is good. It's just that they're different, right? So there's nothing wrong with identifying people as unique and you, you can be yourself. That's all very good. The only the problem with individualism is when we begin to worship individualism and say like the most important thing, more important than anything else is that you get to be whoever you want to be and express that however you want to in our society uh, if we worship individualism. But the same is true on the other hand, if, if we were to worship collectivism and say the, the most important thing is, is the family and, and everything else, nothing else matters except that, um, that, that would not be good as well. So these are not like good or bad. This is just, it just is what it is. But we need to understand as we read scripture that it was written for a collectivist culture. So there might be some things that we miss if we interpret it through our individualist American eyes. For example, um, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Let me read this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I, I just want you to notice the collectivist language here. Let's consider how to stir up one another. Uh, don't neglect meeting together. Encourage one another. This is all about who we are as a community of believers. That, that's what we're focusing on is who we are. And so for us as Christians today in America, we want to ask the question this way. Why is church important for me? Why is church important for me? But the collectivist mindset would ask it differently and say, why is the church important for us? So we're gonna try to keep that in mind as we walk through this section in the book of Romans. We're gonna be in Romans chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to join me. The words will be on the screen. 
Uh, if you got it memorized, just track along. And uh, we're gonna go through what Paul has to say to this church in Rome about what it means to be the church because the church in Rome was having some issues. This was the reason for the letter that Paul wrote um, in about um, the mid-50s AD, the Emperor Claudius decided that the Jews were a problem in their society. And so he actually expelled all the Jews from Rome. You, You can't live here anymore, you're a problem. So all the Jews had to move, they had to leave. They went to Greece or they went to Asia Minor, they went to Palestine. Five years later, that decision was reversed and the Jews were invited back in. But for those five years, the church in Rome was Gentile only. They didn't have any Jewish influence in the church. And then all these Jewish Christians come back to the city and they come back into the church and the Gentiles are like, hey, we we sort of have our way of doing things and you guys are wanting to do things differently. So... um, I'm not sure this is gonna work out and we can get along. And Paul writes this letter in part to convince them, hey, you can be together. You are the church. All of you together is the church. And so you've got to figure this out. So let's read what Paul has to say to this church where diversity was sort of an obstacle for them and uh, see how he figures this out. So let's start in uh, verse one, chapter 12. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So uh, many of you have heard this, if you've been in church, you've probably read this or heard this, these verses before. And if you're like me, you interpreted these from an individualist perspective, which is, so Paul is saying, I should offer my body as a living sacrifice in my spiritual worship, my private worship between me and God. And I, sh- I need to be transformed by renewing my mind. So I'm not conformed to the world, but I'm renewed personally between me and God so I can know God's will for me. That, that's what we all want to know. God, I want to know your will for me, right? But this is not how Paul's audience would have heard this. They would have heard it from a collectivist perspective. They would have heard Paul say, hey, all of you together should offer your body as a living sacrifice. Because I don't want all of you together to be conformed to the pattern of the world. I want you all together to be transformed by together renewing your mind so that you can know God's will, not for you as an individual, but for you as the church, as the body of Christ. That's how they would have read that. And so it's helpful for us to get that different perspective and to understand what Paul is saying here is that worship, worship is a part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, gathering for worship. Sacrifices, he talks about offering your body as a living sacrifice. Sacrifices were very public events in the ancient world. You didn't didn't offer sacrifices. I mean, no Jew would offer sacrifices in their own home. It wasn't just a private thing between you and God. It was a very public thing. And it's kind of a scary thing to think about doing in public because a sacrifice means you sinned. And so you're going in front of all these people saying, hey, everyone, I screwed up. I sinned today, so I have to bring this lamb so the blood can cover my sins. I mean, it was, it was a very public thing. You guys want to try that? You guys want to come up here and talk about your sins and offer your sacrifices? Nope, me neither, okay? Um, but that's, that's how it was done. And so when Paul says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, this is, this is a corporate thing. Everyone is going to do this together. And then they're going to not be conformed to the world together. And so gathering for worship, what it does is it reminds us who we are. That's part of why this is so important. 
Because when, when we're not together, it's easy to forget. It's easy to forget that Jesus is on the throne, that he is the Lord, that he's the center of our lives. But when we're together, you get to look around this room and you get to know, like, I don't know all these people and I don't know if they're like me. I don't know if they vote like me. I don't know if they think like me. I don't know if, what, if their financial situation is like mine, but I know one thing. They all believe Jesus is Lord. And isn't there some comfort and strength and encouragement in that? To be with people who agree with you that Jesus is Lord, that, that's a redefining moment. And we get to have this redefining moment every time we gather. So Paul says, gather, you should gather a lot because that redefines who you are, that refreshes your sense of identity as a group of Jesus followers so that when you go out into the world, you don't lose that sense of identity, but it stays strong. That's why I think this last year has been so difficult for so many people because it's been sort of chaotic when it comes to the church world, right? So we went and last March, we went from meeting regularly in person and we were having like 400 people here on a weekend to all of a sudden it's, it's online only and we have no idea how many people are tuning in or part of our church anymore. It's just kind of online. And then we, in the summer, we kind of went outside. We were doing outside worship, which was pretty awesome. And then we were back in person again. And then we were online only again, you know, all through the winter. And it's just, it was crazy. It was like a yo-yo. It was back and forth and back and forth. And like, from my perspective, it was nuts. It was very difficult. But for a lot of people, I would talk to people, especially as we started coming back this, this time most recently, and they would say, you know what? I have just missed church. And, and I, I like to dig a little bit. And I would say, well, what do you miss about church? I just miss seeing the people, which is true. I've, I've missed seeing people too, but I think there's something deeper to that answer because it's not just that we miss seeing people because you can see people wherever. You can go to Walmart and see people. Like, well, not, not those people. <laughs> those are not the people I miss seeing. I, I miss seeing church people. Well, what, what is it about church people that we miss seeing? It is this sense of unity, this sense of alignment that we miss when we're not gathering together. That we, we don't get to be around people that we can look at and know, I don't know your name, but the fact that you're here tells me you believe Jesus is Lord, and I'm so glad to know I'm not alone in that. Paul said, we need this. You gather for worship. It's normal for Christians to engage in corporate worship together because it reminds us who we are. Okay, let's continue. Verse three. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So Paul, again, he reminds them that uh, you... You should all, you consider everyone equal in the church. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Because again, this is a very diverse group of people. There are Jews and Gentiles, but there's also rich and poor. There's powerful and weak. There are slave owners and slaves, and they're all in the church together. And Paul says, all of those outside worldly measurements for your value and status as a human being, you, you abandon those when you come into the church of God, the family of God. And in the church, you don't measure people by their money, by their power, by their influence, by their political beliefs. That's not how we measure people in the church. We're all equal. 
And so as equal, we're all part of the same body. Paul's going to use this analogy of, of a body. And he says, just like your body has different parts, but each one has a purpose, the church has different parts. You're, you're all equal, but you're not the same. And this is where there is some individualism here. Paul says, it's good that you're different. If everybody were like Adam, this would be a really boring place to be, right? First of all, nothing would ever get done. Adam is a big picture thinker, okay? Adam has ideas, like 10 a minute. But Adam doesn't accomplish a lot of things because <laughs> he's always thinking about what's next and how to make it bigger and better, right? So it's good that we're all not, not all like me. Everybody has a gift. And Paul says, your gift is to be used for the church. That, that's the reason why you have a gift. So we engage through our gifts. And it's, it's important that we recognize that uh, the, the gift is for the church. It, it's a part of being in the family of God. So I think sometimes we wanna ask this question, can I be a Christian and not go to church or be a part of a church? That's an important question. I don't intend to tackle that whole thing today. But if we look at Paul's analogy of a body, he would say everything is connected. And he would say that if you're in Christ, you are a part of the body. It's just part of the deal. It's like every Mexican restaurant you go to, whatever entree you order, you're getting rice and beans with that, right? Like you don't have to ask for rice and beans. It's just coming with it. It doesn't matter if you like rice and beans, you're getting rice and beans. It doesn't matter if you like the church, you want the church. If you sign up to put Jesus as Lord of your life, you're getting the church. That's, that's just part of the deal. And you are connected with all the other people that signed up to follow Jesus. You're connected. You're like a body, right? You guys know how bodies work, right? You, you, you don't just leave different parts around. You don't like, at the end of the day, you just take your ears off and set them because you're done with them for the day. Although, guys, we have been accused of that from time to time. We don't really do that. You don't forget to take your fingers to work with you because everything is connected. And, and the older I get, the more obvious this is to me, okay? So I have a, I have a knee thing from uh, soccer in college. Uh, that's not a flex. Any of you could have played soccer at my college. But I have a knee thing. And so uh, every now and then it'll just pop. And I know I, I'm gonna be limping for two weeks, 10 days, two weeks. So you limp around and what limping is, this is one of those things that we understand, but it's hard to explain. It's taking responsibility from a healthy part of the body and shifting it from an injured part of the body and shifting it to a healthy part. That's limping. So I take responsibility from my left knee and I shift it to my, the right side of my body. So what happens after a few days of limping on my left knee? Man, my right hip is just screaming. And so suddenly now I'm, I'm trying to limp on both, like that doesn't work here, limp on both legs. I just have to sit for a while. And because everything is connected, I can't just, oh, well, left knee is out. Let's just set that aside for a few days and go on without it. That's not how it works. And it's not how it works with the body of Christ either. When, when, when somebody's down, when some, something is not functioning, when somebody's not doing their work, it affects everybody. So Paul says, each of you have been given a gift, so you need to use it for the body. So if we look at this from the individual's mindset, it is my gift makes the church stronger. God has gifted me, therefore I'm important. My gift makes the church stronger. Listen, that's absolutely true. But there's another side to that coin, the collectivist side that we need to see also. And the collectivist view would say, the church gives meaning to your gift. Do you see the difference? The church gives meaning to your gift. Outside of the church, your gift doesn't have eternal significance. Inside the church, your gift takes on significance that can change things for all eternity. That, that's, that hits a little different, doesn't it? 
It's, it's like you, you cut your hand off and you throw it in the corner. Is it still hand? I mean, it looks like a hand, but it can't do any of the things that we would define that hands can do. I mean, you don't have the fingers and the tendons and doing all the things and writing and shooting hoops and you can't do any of that. It's, it's in the corner. It's just a piece of dead meat at that point. Sorry, that's kind of gross, but like that's what it is. And so when you cut something off from the body, it doesn't function the way it was created to function anymore. So can, can you be a Christian and, and not be engaged in the church? Man, again, I, I don't, I don't want to... I don't want to answer that directly. But can you cut your hand off and then still use your hand? Uh, no. Yeah, I mean, you can't, really. Okay, we'll be direct. This is why we want you guys to fill out the uh, skills survey. So we put the skills survey um, online. It's on our app. If you haven't done this yet, please do it. You can do it right now. Get your cell phone out and ignore me for the next five minutes. That's more important. And fill out the skills survey. Because this is a way that we know what you're good at, what you can do, what your gifts and your abilities are, so that we can help get you connected to the body in ways that you are using your gifts in ways that give them eternal significance. This is what we're created for. This is what we're called to do, right? So engage with your gifts. If you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, which means you have been given a gift. And what that looks like is different for each person, but your gift is intended to build up the body. All right, uh, let's finish out here in verses nine through 18. This is a little bit of a long passage. So uh, your assignment as I read through this is to try to beat me to the punch, the next punchline, okay? And figure out what, uh, what, what I'm gonna say at the end of this, okay? Uh, verse nine, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So on the heels of saying, hey, you, it's important, you need to gather and worship together. You need to use your gifts. And then Paul is gonna kind of give us the foundational practices that make all of that possible, and that is greater love. Paul is talking about a lifestyle of love that goes beyond what you should experience uh, with people who don't have the Holy Spirit inside of them. It's not that we Christians can show greater love because we're just such awesome people. We're not that awesome, okay? We're like everybody else, but we have the Spirit of God inside of us. So the Spirit through us can love people with a greater love than we could love without the Spirit. Does that make sense? Yes, good, nods, okay. So in the church, you should experience greater love from other people than you, than you would experience outside the church. And when you read this, you're like, yeah, that is, that is some amazing stuff. We're talking about um, being patient in tribulation, being constant in prayer, rejoicing with those who rejoice, blessing those who persecute you. I mean, really, we're supposed to bless those who persecute us? Yes, that's a greater love. And Paul didn't make this stuff up. In fact, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters five, six, and seven, 
you will find these concepts there. Paul is just ripping them right out of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and putting them here for the Romans because this is the life that Jesus lived, he, he taught, and he showed us what this looks like in real life, this greater love. Can you imagine if you were a part of a community that fit this description? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be counter-cultural? You remember when Paul talked a few verses ago by about not being conformed to the pattern of the world? Man, this is so opposite of the pattern of the world, blessing those who persecute you, being patient in tribulation, living in harmony with everyone. How much harmony do you see outside the church? Let's be really honest and ask, how much harmony do you see inside the church? Man, we've got some room to grow here, don't we? But this is the call. This is what we, we were created for. You're a part of a body, and it's just part of the deal. It comes along with following Jesus. We are refreshed and renewed when we worship together. We are made stronger when everyone uses their gifts. And the foundation that makes all of that possible is a love that is beyond the capacity of anyone who doesn't have the Holy Spirit of God inside of them. This is what it means to be the church. So what we need to finish with here is our our next step. So I, I, I always want us to know what we're supposed to do next. This is not intellectual exercises. This is not just making people smarter. Uh, We have to be able to put this into practice if it's going to make a difference in our lives, in the church, and in the world around us, which is really what God wants. Uh, God has, guys, God has this mission. This is not in the notes. Um, We're fine. Anybody hungry? Okay. So God has this mission to see everyone on the planet hear the good news about Jesus. He wants everyone to know that they are invited into his family, into the kingdom of God, and that it's possible because of what Jesus did. And God has uh, given this mission to the church. The plan A for reaching the world with this good news about Jesus is the church. And as far as I can tell, in all the scripture I've read, there's not a plan B. It's, It's us, it's us or nobody. We do it or it doesn't happen. And how are we gonna do it? I mean, that's a big challenge, isn't it? Everybody on the planet needs to know. Like, I don't even know if everybody in my neighborhood knows how much God loves them. How are we gonna do it? <laughs> this is it. This is what Paul lays out. This is how we're gonna do it. We're gonna be the church. We're gonna, we're gonna be renewed by worshiping together. We're gonna use our gifts to build each other up. And we're gonna show greater love to everybody we come in contact with. So what are our next steps? So first step uh, is if you've never put Jesus on the throne of your life, if Jesus is not your Lord, this is a question you need to ask. Should he be? Does Jesus deserve that spot? Does he deserve to be Lord of my life, center of my universe? Is he gonna do a better job running my life than I am? That should be an easy yes. That's step one. And if you've never done that, I would just encourage you to ask that question, to think about it, uh, talk to one of our pastors. We would love to walk you through what that looks like to make Jesus the center of your life. If you've done that, then guess what? You're a part of the church. If Jesus is Lord of your life, it's, your, it's, it's, your, it's rice and beans situation, right? You're a part of the church now. So now you get to decide, all right, what am I gonna do? How am I gonna engage? So we would ask you, if you're not attending regularly, that you would attend regularly. It doesn't have to be here. I'd love for you to attend here. I love seeing you every week. And I love that you let me talk at you for 30 minutes every week. But somewhere you should be regularly involved in gathering with other believers to be reminded who you are and not be conformed to the pattern of the world. So attend regularly. Second is join a group. It's in the groups, the classes, the micro churches, the men's groups, women's groups, discipleship groups, that we get to practice these one another things. 
You know, he's, he talks about rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourning with those who mourn, right? Can you look around this room and tell who's rejoicing? Nope, you can't see it, can you? Can you look around and tell who's mourning? No, but when you sit in somebody's home with 10 or 12 other people and you look them in the eye in a circle, you're gonna know who's rejoicing and who's mourning. And that's, it's in these groups that we get to live out these one another passages of scripture. So join, join a group. Next is join a team. Now listen, uh, these, these are not all sequential. They don't have to happen in this order. They can happen in a lot of different orders. So don't hear me saying there's a specific order here. But you should join a team. This is where you engage with your gifts. You, you have a gift, you have a skill, you have abilities. Um, your gift strengthens the church and the church gives your gift meaning. So get involved, volunteer, get on a team. There's a lot of ways to volunteer here. There are ways to use your gifts outside the church as well. But if you need help uh, talking through that, please reach out to us. This is what we do, right? This is why I'm here, okay? This is why I get paid millions of dollars a year, actually. Uh, you know that's not true. Um, maybe pesos. What's the peso rate? Never mind. Um, we want to help you talk through this. So reach out to us, we'll help you get on a team. And if you've checked all those boxes, you're like, all right, Jesus is my Lord, I attend regularly, I'm in a group, I'm on a team, I'm done. Checked it all off. No, you're not done, because you're not dead, okay? That's, that's when you're done, is when you're dead. So if you're still alive, uh, your next step is to invite other people to take a step of faith, Right? You get to be a part of seeing other people become more connected and more engaged with the body of Christ by inviting them. And this is not a, hey, you should do this. This is a, hey, come with me. If you've got friends and you know they're not attending regularly, but they love Jesus, say, hey, come with me to church. It, it will make a difference if you would come and worship with me. If you're in a group and your friend's not in a group, say, hey, come with me to my group or this class. It's a great way to get to know some people and dive in deeper to who God is. If your friend's not on a team, invite them to come with you. So that's your next step, is to invite someone to do with you what you're already doing. And when we all do this together, what uh, Jesus says is we will be like a city on a hill. And you can't hide a city on a hill because at night it lights up and everything else is dark. And don't we live in a world where darkness seems prevalent and we all need to see a city of light, a place of hope, a place that looks like it's, it's doing something different and experiencing something different than what the rest of the world has to offer. That's what we get to be. That's what we're invited to do as the church. You are the church, so be the church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for creating the church. It's just a beautiful thing that you invented and we're all so grateful that you did it. Thank you for giving us this incredible mission. It's a big responsibility, but it's important and you've equipped us through your spirit to do it. Thank you for all of these people who are here or watching and for the encouragement we get from being together. And now God, I pray that you would use us as we gather for worship, as we use our gifts, as we show greater love. God, would you use us to connect people with Jesus? And we can't wait to celebrate when you do. In his name we pray, amen. If you'll go ahead and stand, we're gonna sing another song. Um, as we're preparing to go out into the world, um, I just want you to consider what, uh, what being a part of the church looks like for you outside of these walls, okay? Church isn't over when Matthew dismisses you in a moment. That doesn't end the church, because you are the church, right? Uh, so just think about what that looks like for you as you leave. 
Again, if you want to take a step of faith and you want to talk through that with someone, uh, if you text the word respond to this number or if you just find one of our pastors outside after the service, we'd love to talk with you through that. Uh, Thanks for being here. I can't wait to see what God does through this church next.